Good morning. Thank you for uh, joining us on this very, very, very brisk last day of December. Um, we're glad that you all made it here safely, and we're glad that you're here with us today. My name is Garrett. Um, I'm the youth minister here, and today I get to preach to you. Um, and we're starting a new series. It's all about these uh, names or titles for Jesus. Um, and I believe we're only focusing in the book of John, or at least that's where I'm focusing today, uh, is in the book of John. So um, I don't have any sermon slides, but if you have your own Bible with you, uh, make sure that you flip to John chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 14 today, and I'm going to read that for you now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. But he himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but yet his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an amazing introduction. And this is something we don't typically find throughout the Gospels. Um, like if you look at Matthew's, his is really dry and boring. It basically just lines out Jesus' family tree. But John, he just like, he smacks his readers in the face with this amazing prologue where he tells us so much about Jesus. And in order for us to understand why he does this, we need to understand why John was writing this gospel. In John chapter 20, we see this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that so, that, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is trying to grab his readers and open their eyes to who Jesus was, so that they would believe in him. Not so that they would have a, necessarily a, a biographical account of Jesus' life, but so that they would believe that this guy that he was describing, his friend, was the Son of God. That's his objective, and that's the reason he writes this way. And I love this, this passage. When Mark was kind of going through and, and uh, divvying up who got what, I, I was quick to jump on this because it's so rich in what we find about Jesus. These first few verses just teach us so much about this man named Jesus Christ. But the first thing that we come to when we read this is the question of why did John choose the title of Word? For Jesus. The very first thing that he talks, or give, the first title that he gives to Jesus was Word. What did this title convey to John's original readers? What did this mean to them? And what, did this, what does this mean to us? Initially, I believed, as probably many of you do, that saying that Jesus is the Word is really just saying that Jesus is a fulfillment of 
the Old Testament prophecies. The things that God told us long ago. This was Jesus coming in and filling these shoes and doing what God said was going to be done. Now, this is not an incorrect answer, so if that's what you think, congratulations. You're right, just like me. But we're not entirely right. It's an incomplete answer. It's right, but not all of it. See, when we study the Greek, we find that this the word, word, the title that that Jesus or that John gives Jesus is actually this word logos which would yes carry the idea that Jesus was a fulfillment of the word that God spoke but it was bigger than that and it's something that we can't quite comprehend because we don't necessarily have a word that means exactly this but this meant like it was an embodiment of the word it wasn't just a fulfillment of the word it was somebody who was going to come in and embody the will of God embody the action of God, and be God. Just by using this word logos, John is telling his readers that this Jesus guy was the incarnate version of God. That's amazing, with one word. But he doesn't stop there. See, again, in the first three verses, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. See, those first three verses, they tell us that Jesus was an eternal person who was with God in the beginning. He's outside of time. He's been here since the very, very beginning. It also says that Jesus is God. He's not God-like. He's not a demigod. He's not Hercules. This is God. This is 100% God. And the other thing it says is that all that was created was created through Jesus. And so this teaches us that Jesus was not a created being. He was a part of the original trinity that is God. All of this, these first three verses, John is trying to convey to his, his readers, he's trying to convey to us that Jesus is God. But why? Why is this so important? Why does he hit this so hard? I think there's three things that we, un, we can understand or learn as we look at this. And the first is this, by understanding that Jesus is God, we realize the authority and the power and the weight of his teaching and of his ministry. John is getting ready to dive into the life and ministry of this man named Jesus Christ, what he said, what he did, and he needed to place Jesus in a position of authority. And so by saying that this guy Jesus is God, it gives Jesus credibility. It gives him authority. The other thing is, by understanding that Jesus is God, we realize the scope of Jesus' love for humanity. Sometimes, like, it's easy to think that Jesus was just this, this gopher that had to do God's bidding, and, you know, he wasn't on an equal, living, equal level with, with God and didn't have any re, really free will in this decision. He was just sent and did and was subordinate the entire time. Well, Jesus did submit himself to the will of the Father, but he didn't have to. He could have not. He's God. And so when we realize that, we understand the scope of how much He loves people. It increases the value of the sacrifice when we really think about it. And the other thing, and this is my favorite, by understanding that Jesus is God, the Word in the beginning, we realize that Jesus had always been part of the plan. 
Sometimes it's easy to look at Scripture and say, well, it's a really good thing that God had this whole Jesus thing in his back pocket because Eden did not work out. The garden did not work out. It's a really good thing that there was this Jesus thing to fall back on. But I don't believe that's the way that this actually went. I think that God, when he spoke man into existence, he knew that we were going to mess up. And Jesus knew how much it was going to cost him to bring him back. And when we look at this in this light, it becomes apparent how perfect, how perfect God's plan of creation and redemption for mankind is. And it's amazing. So Jesus is the word in the beginning. He's the eternal logos. But like many other words, Jesus was ignored and he was rejected. Verses 9 through 11 say this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was coming into the world, but when he arrived, he was rejected. He was ignored. And a lot of times when we read this passage, we really like to focus on by his own. Like, those, like he was rejected by his own people. Because Jesus came to his own people and then they rejected him. Um, and what that actually means is he came to the Jewish people and they rejected him and they hung him on a cross. And like, you know, people who aren't Jewish are like, man, shame on those Jewish people. They really made a mistake here. But that's not what John is saying. He's not letting everybody that's not a Jew off the hook. He says that Jesus came into the world the world that was created through him, and the world did not recognize him. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter who you are, we're all guilty of rejecting and ignoring Jesus. I'm really good at ignoring things. Like, those who are my friends, like really close friends who text me and stuff like that, they will tell you that I do not respond to text messages very regularly um, or very promptly. I'm very good at ignoring things, like whether it's a text or a phone call. Um, I don't know about you guys, but like my Yahoo inbox is always over 100 emails. Sometimes on a really good day, it's, it's up over 1,000. Um, but I, I do check my work email a little bit more frequently. So if you send me an email, don't worry, I'm not going to bury it um, unless I don't want to deal with it. Um, but I, you know, like letters or bills, like, like I have this mentality of if I don't open the bill, it doesn't, it's not actually there. It doesn't count, right? That's how it works. Or that like oil change light that comes on, that means you've got another 5,000 miles before you have to change your oil, right? That's how it works. Or, you know, Emily will ask me to do something, or Mark will ask me to do something, or my mom will ask me to do something, and I just kind of don't. Um, but, like, I'm really good at ignoring things. Really good at it. And, like, at, at first I thought this was like a, a talent specific to me, like, there are only a few of us out there in the world who have a special knack for letting things go. Um, but what I found is through talking to people, there's a lot of people who are just like me, and it's terrifying. All right? Some of you are not like that. Some of you get things done, and you're very on top of things. And I'm very thankful for people like you in the world, because people like me need you. But, like, people like me sometimes, and some of you can relate to this, we ignore things because we think the problem's going to go away. We don't have any facts to back that that kind of assumption up, but we overlook things in hopes that somehow it's just going to work itself out, and oftentimes it means that you have to replace all four tires because you didn't rotate them. Um, but 
that's like, that's the thing is ignoring people, it, it happens. But this is bigger. It's talking about ignoring Jesus. In verses 4 and 5, it says this about the word and light and darkness. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Maybe your translation says understood it. But either way, what John is saying here is that Jesus, the light, has come into the darkness, and he has not been overtaken. He's not been overcome. See, darkness is something that John uses throughout his gospel to illustrate what it means to be wandering away from Jesus. Um, In chapter 3, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee and probably ashamed of his relationship to Jesus, only came to Jesus in the dark. In chapter 13, we see Judas leaving the company of the disciples at the Last Supper to descend into darkness and betray Jesus. In chapter 18, Peter denies Jesus before the rooster crows. So it's probably at least... A little bit dark. He's in the dark. It's early, early morning. In chapter 3, Jesus comes right out and talks about men loving darkness because their evil deeds are not exposed. People live in this darkness and they ignored the light. But one of the things that we know about light is that light cleanses darkness. If someone turns on a light in a dark room, the darkness flees from that light. Jesus, the Word, has overcome the darkness. He's overcome sin and death. And He's providing light and life to all humanity. But like the emails in our inbox, or the bill that we don't want to pay, or the pain in our back, or that oil change light, we ignore it. Humanity ignores it. But what do I mean by that? What does it mean to ignore the light? When we sin, we're saying, our way is better than God's way. When we, say we're, when we sin, we're saying, I don't need to do things God's way. My way will work out. Even if we know it's really not going to. That's us ignoring the light. For some of you, you have lived your entire life wandering away from the light. Living in darkness. For some of us, you know, maybe we're currently living in, in the light and we're, we're doing things that, like to the best of our ability, but we, we can remember times when it was awfully dark. Or maybe you're somebody who, you know, has, has lived in the light, but right now you're just kind of wandering around in darkness. You're wandering away from Jesus. See, in order for us to fully comprehend what Jesus has done and what he's doing and what he will do, we need to understand that our initial response as a creation to Jesus, to the Word, has been to ignore him and has been rejection. But this sermon is not going to end with rejection. I don't want you to head into 2018 just contemplating the divinity of Jesus and thinking about how you may have rejected him in your life. See, John, he not only refers to Jesus as the Word in his Gospel account. John wrote other letters and he wrote other books, and one of which was Revelation. Now, some of you just kind of got like a chill. Oh no, he's talking about Revelation. See, Revelation is kind of scary because um, this is not a picture of something that like has already taken place. It It was a vision given to John while he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Which showed, where God showed him pictures of what is to come. 
So that's what he's written in Revelation. And a lot of times people get hung up in like the imagery and what, what do things mean. Um, like Nate really gets hung up on the red dragon. Um, but we're not going to be talking about the red dragon. We're going to be talking about another place in Revelation where John again issues the title, Word of God, to Jesus. And it's in Revelation 19. He says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe that's been dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is such an amazing and powerful image of Jesus, the Word of God. I hope you guys caught that. He called him the Word of God. He's coming in on this white horse, and his eyes are like fire, and he's got like a sword coming out of his mouth. That's the part that really freaks me out. Um, then he's got this robe that's been dipped in blood on. And on his head, he's not wearing like one or two crowns. He's wearing many crowns. And on his robe and on his thigh is written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And following him in is an army of angels on white horses dressed in white clothes. He's coming with justice, and he's coming to blot out those who oppress him. This is the word that cannot be ignored. This is the word of power. Now, I don't know how you picture Jesus. Like, you know, when you think about Jesus, I don't know how you picture him. Maybe, maybe you know, um, you're like Ricky Bobby, and it's always, you know, baby Jesus. Um, those of you that got that, I'm glad that you laughed. Um, or, or maybe, you know, you think of Jesus with, like, children, or maybe you think of Jesus on the cross, or maybe you think of Jesus like the picture that you typically see in churches. But I'm going to confess something to you. This is a lot of times, like, this guy on the horse with the sword coming out of his mouth with fire in his eyes. This is a lot of times the way I picture Jesus. And, like, when I picture him like that, I get like a little bit of like a, like a shudder of fear and maybe some chills. But then I smile and I feel secure and I feel safe. And you might be thinking, why does he think this way? Why does he, you know, like feel any kind of safety and security with this kind of Jesus? And I'll tell you why. In order to understand why I believe that way, we have to go back to John 1. Verses 13 through 14 says this. Yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Remember, the, the verses right before this said Jesus came into the world, but he was rejected. But John continues, continues he said, but to those who did receive him, those, to those who believed in him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And then the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. If we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, as somebody who believes, 
That picture of Jesus on the stallion is terrifying. But I can feel secure because as somebody who believes, I'm an adopted child. And if you're somebody who believes, you are too. See, the rider on the horse, whose name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the mighty warrior, he came first as a humble sacrifice. And though we may have rejected the word, and though from time to time we may wander from the light, if we believe and we place our faith in the word, we are sons and daughters. And I want to focus on two distinct implications for two groups of people that these words have for us today. And the first is this. I need to debunk kind of like a, a, a misconception that the church has had for many, many years. And I've heard it many times. And it's that all of humanity, all the people in the world are God's children. Well, according to this passage, this, that's false. It's only those who believe. So if you don't believe in Jesus, you have not yet been adopted. That doesn't mean that you weren't created in the image of God. But this verse, this passage, is telling us that, no, the title of son and daughter is reserved for those who have made the decision to place their faith and their trust and their belief in Jesus. Some of you in this room may not be in that place. You may not be adopted yet. And, and these words are not words I enjoy saying, and this isn't some rule that I've made up. This is what I understand from Scripture. And the consequences of not being an adopted son or daughter, according, again, to Scripture, is you don't inherit the life that Jesus provides. And I'm not, I'm not saying these things to try to scare you into making a decision. That's the last thing I want to do. But if you're sitting here today and you don't believe, I would encourage you to start asking questions. Why don't you believe? What, what's keeping you from taking this step and, and starting to live a life of faith? Who can you talk to about the questions that you have? Every Sunday we have prayer counselors down front. If you're somebody who doesn't believe and this disturbs you or worries you, come talk to them. Come talk to somebody who's on staff. Come talk to me. Or maybe talk to a friend or a family member who brought you or a Sunday school teacher. Ask questions. Start having that conversation. See, again, John wrote this book for you. He wrote so that all might believe. So read this book. It's not an incredibly hard gospel to read. You'll learn a lot about Jesus. And it'll help you ask better questions. And if you don't have a copy of the, the, the Gospel of John, or if you don't have a copy of the Bible at your disposal, come talk to me. And we'll do our best to make sure you leave with one today. So that's one group of people. But then there's the other group of people. What about those of us who do believe? What do we do with this message? 2017 has been a year marked by extremes for me and for many of you as well. I felt extreme joy and hope and wonder and passion and belonging and encouragement and love this year. But I've also felt extreme pain 
and sorrow and sympathy and grief and loneliness and emptiness and anger. Throughout all of it, the Word, Jesus, has been victorious. And that's easy to see when I'm talking with students about being baptized or making a decision to follow Jesus. Or it's easy to, to see that Jesus is victorious when I'm standing in the mountains and I'm looking upon like just amazing landscape that God has created. Or it's easy to, to remember that, that Jesus is victorious when you're you know, dancing with, with African brothers and sisters in Christ you know, and worshiping with them and seeing the way that the gospel is being moved across the world. It's easy to remember that Jesus is victorious when things feel like a win. But it's hard to feel the victory when you're comforting those who have lost a family member or a friend or talking with a friend who's afraid for their marriage or grieving the loss of someone you love. Those are the moments that it becomes hard to see that Jesus is on that stallion riding in to save the day. Because in those moments, it's easy to feel abandoned. But in the midst of pain, I would encourage you to open your eyes to see the way that God is at work. This year has been hard for our community. But God has been at work. I could offer you countless examples of the way that God has been at work here in this church, but also in the lives of people around us. And like focusing on the way that God is at work, it doesn't relieve the pain. Does it make it go away? Does it make you feel like the tragedy suddenly didn't happen? And it doesn't make the loss worth it. It doesn't make the pain worth it. But it reminds us that we're not abandoned. And that God is still at work. And Jesus is still victorious. As we enter 2018, I would love to stand here and promise you that this next year is going to be better. But I can't. And that's terrifying. I wish I could, but I can't. That's not guaranteed. But there is something that is guaranteed. And it's that Jesus is still God. He's still victorious. He's still defeated death. He's still light. He's still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So even if 2018 is worse than this year, or if this next year... It feels like life closes in around you. Those of us who believe can take heart. Because Jesus is still king. We are still adopted. And we still have hope. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He taught and he healed and he loved and he died on a cross like a criminal. And then he rose from the grave and he defeated death once and for all. He ascended into heaven and then one day, hopefully today, he is coming back and all will be made right and all will be made new. This is the word. This is Jesus. You pray with me. Father, we, we thank you for your son Jesus. Because that's all we can do. We thank you and we praise you for the gift that we have in him. The hope that we have in him. The future that we have in him. And God, I pray that today if somebody in this room does not yet believe. 
that God, that you would convict their heart. You would lead them to ask questions. And you would put people in their path to help them make a decision. And for those of us that do believe, Lord, I pray that we are encouraged by this message. That we remember that you are God. You have not abandoned us. And the word means adoption and victory to us. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.